And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike, in a moment for another category review episode. We have a special first-time guest, uh, someone we've been a long-time fan of and have not been able to hook up and have on this show yet, but we are fortunate enough today to be joined by Variety's artisan expert, Jazz Tanke, Michael. Yeah, she is the senior artisans editor at Variety, and Jazz covers the Emmys, she covers the Oscars, she covers all the uh, crafts below the line. Uh, She came from Awards Daily, where she's worked with Sasha and and that great uh, group over there for, for years, and... She's also a member of Gold Derby, so you know we've just been fans and followers of her career, and it, it's it really it's really cool to have her on today, Mike. Uh, absolutely, and she's also the co-host of the Award Circuit podcast alongside Clayton Davis, uh, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider. She does interviews and moderates Q and As for Variety, SAG, AFTRA, Film Independent, various film festivals. Another person that is just beyond prolific in this industry, wearing all kinds of hats, doing all kinds of things in the industry, but. Uh, she her focus and her day to day with variety is on uh, shining a light on these design categories, the production design, makeup and hairstyling, costume design, editing, etc. So there's nobody more accomplished or proper to talk to today. Yeah, and all of our regular listeners are just like nodding their heads right now. What took you so long to get her on? Because yeah, you guys right. need her as a guest more than anybody. And uh, of course, it's by, by, I mean, finally, all our listeners are saying. But yeah, I mean, you guys could find all of her work, uh, of course, on Variety, of course, on all those websites. We mentioned all the interviews she does. Uh, but it's all on YouTube as well in terms of those interviews and the Q&As. And she's got great stuff out there. Andrew Day, Stephen Yun. Yu Jung Yoon, uh, Leslie Odom Jr., Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, Trish Somerville, her. Those are just the Oscar nominees that I, I found quickly uh, mm-hmm. and that we've listened to lately that she's interviewed this season, Michael. I mean, we also found chats with Angie Wells of Promising Young Woman, Ruben Santiago Hudson of Ma Rainey's, and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer of French Exit, etc., etc., I mean, she's got so much work out there. It's It really is incredible. So many panels, so many one-on-ones, uh, Variety, Gold Derby, YouTube, like I said. Seek out her work. It, you, you will you will deepen your understanding about this whole thing that we do here in award season. And you will fill in a lot of blanks that we've left for you. <laughs> <laughs> and as well, she's involved in Variety's Artisans Awards, which we wanted to give a shout out to, which took place and was part of the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. You can go find all work on that by typing in Variety Artisans Award into your Google, which I heard is a thing the kids do these days. Guys, Jazz Tanke, the artisans and below the line expert from Variety, joins Mike, Mike and Oscar. We will see you all on the other side. All right, joining us now on the line, Jazz Tanke from Variety. Jazz, thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast. So when I got the invite, I jumped at it, albeit like super delayed. But thank you very much for having me on here. Well, we thank you for for coming on uh, amidst your busy season or one of your busy seasons. And I, we can't believe how much you write and how prolific you are. And it's just been it's been really fun to follow your career from Awards Daily to Variety. I mean, we've certainly relied on, on your stuff over the years. And it's just been really cool to see you and Clayton and, and the new Awards Circuit team there doing what you've always done so well just now for the long, you know, one of the longest running, most established Hollywood traits in the business and all of that during a pandemic. So mm. I, I was just hoping, like, maybe you could give us a little behind-the-scenes info about what it's like to work at Variety there and, and what it's like to do this particular job during these un- unprecedented times during this pandemic. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for that, and thank you for being such a huge supporter and know that I, as I said, listen to your podcast. So, you know, what is it like working at Variety? It is truly truly amazing um our all my senior management our editor my editor-in-chief um both the co-editor-in-chiefs are huge champions of artisans which makes my job easy um Mm. and having that support just you know and me having 
not free reign as such, but, you know, the ability to go out and rather than do a, a normal interview, it's like, how else can I elevate, you know, the people who help make a movie? It's not just the talent. It's not just the director. There are a, a million people. That's an exaggeration. But there are hundreds of people <laughs> responsible for making that final picture. And, yeah, how? what can I do? Um so that's really what I'm doing at Variety, finding different ways to elevate the artisans and the below the line team mm. crew. Um, what has it been like in the pandemic? I have to say it's been easier because everybody is kind of has been in lockdown. So if I've needed to do an interview, if I've needed to get hold of someone, it's literally like, okay, well, so-and-so is in Europe. Can you do this interview at seven o'clock in the morning? Of course, because usually I'd be on the road going into the office. Mm-hmm. Or can you do this interview at eight o'clock at nighttime because they're in Australia and they're on the visual effects team at Weta. So you're going to take 20, 30 minutes to, to do that. And so being in the, lo- being in the pandemic and working from home, and having access to the artisans has been easy. Did I ramble? No, 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 not at all. I, and, and please, I mean, we're, we're just, we sit back and we listen because, I mean, it, when, we, when we are fortunate enough to have somebody who is an expert on this program, we love learning from them and especially someone we do respect so much. And that we actually brought up the next question seamlessly anyway, is that you're such a champion for the below the line workers. Has the lockdown helped your writing proliferation at all i mean if you go on variety right now and just search your name you have six fully fleshed out articles that were posted in the past 24 hours i don't know how you find the time of the day to do this type of thing during award season while having these interviews lined up that you do and you do so such a good job at. i mean has has the pandemic helped you in that way being able to concentrate more on the writing or is it just you somehow find that there's 30 hours in a day that we don't get access to I think it's more the former than the latter. It's (laughs) really given me time to do more interviews, learn from the interviews. So, you know, I can learn something from one visual effects artist or one editor. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that about editing. or I didn't know that about visual effects. And so I'm able to to do more, I guess, in-depth interviews and really hearing the story more as opposed to, oh gosh, I've got a meeting or, oh gosh, I mm. need to be in Beverly Hills for a panel that I'm about to moderate. So mm. I think it's given me a greater focus over the last year, which is why I've been able to probably do more content, but also I've been careful not to vomit content. So... <laughs> And let me just clear that up. So, you know, vomiting content, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's another interview. Let me do this. Let me put this out there. And there's no thought in that structure. It's like, so what, what, you know, what was it like making this movie? What attracted you to that? Mm-hmm. And then the standard questions, whereas I've been able to, to really dive into the craft. And it's, I mean, the whole industry, especially the below the line, the artisan industry is all the better for it. You do have this tendency, uh, there's this attraction that you have. You make yourself so accessible, whether on screen, doing the interviews, or whether on the page in your writing, that I think you really do are doing uh, a work in that you guide people to places about movies and let them learning about movies that they may not otherwise have the ability to. Like Mike said, we're thrilled with your success at Variety. But we are curious about the kind of origin story and how you got there. I mean, look, we here on MMO, we have a bit of imposter syndrome when it comes to covering the crafts, because as much as Mike and myself are hardcore cinephiles and critics, what we are even more are like two very unfashionable guys who have always spent (laughs) the most amount of time in our pajamas as we can. And we like to say it's a pandemic thing, but we know the truth. We know ourselves. So the more we study film, of course, we'll get more familiar with the below the line stuff. But we're curious about your draw to it what's the what's the jazz tanke origin story in being drawn to the artisan and the more aesthetic below the line side of film sure um so i guess you know looking back 
I grew up on the MGM musicals and I was always fascinated by, you know, like let's say the King and I, I was like, I loved the costumes and I loved the production design. I loved, everybody knows I love Kramer versus Kramer when I was seven, which is a really weird thing to be watching when you're a <laughs> seven year old. But this is, this is what happens when parents don't censor what their kids watch. <laughs> I, I was watching the Exorcist American Wealth and all of that anyway. Um, so, but I didn't know what editing was. I didn't know what production design was. I know what costume design was. And I guess when I started working, you know, and shout out to Sasha Stone at Awards Daily, you know, I was interviewing with talent, I was interviewing writers, editors, and I found that when I was doing the interviews with the DP, with the production designer, with the writer, you know, with the screenwriter, like I was getting a much greater picture of what I was seeing on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of where I guess it began of I can learn so much more about a movie from speaking to a cinematographer and the director and the editor and this is just one scene that we're talking about out of an entire you know movie so I guess Mm -hmm. that's that's where it began that's fascinating and also validating to this whole enterprise for Mike and I right now because (laughs) you know that's why you're here we're trying to learn from you we're trying to learn from you as an expert and the fact that you've gleaned uh, a lot of uh, a lot of that love uh, for the for the entire process through interviewing experts through uh, covering it and and through so many reps and so many great Mm -hmm. interviews that you've done that that is that is so that makes me so happy. There's that, hope, that, that, is what Mike's trying to say. There's no, hope there's, for us. Yeah. There's, no, there's, there's hope, and, and yeah, and, and so I, you actually disarmed me because I was worried about asking this next question because this is kind of an awkward, clunky question just to force in here. But we, we have to ask it because you know you're on award circuit, you're one on one in in interviews for the podcast or elsewhere. You're you're moderating Q and As at film festivals and. Yeah, you know, you have some leading questions once in a while. You you called it standard questions in the pre-show, but none of your questions are like these softball mm-hmm. questions. They're all incisive. They all bring out these these great answers, these great responses. So responses from your from your interviewees. So I'm wondering how you get there, how you prep, how you uh, you approach these these interviews because mike and i you know we kind of come from the talk radio side where we just don't stop talking and these preambles go on forever and this bit can go on and on and on and i i I wrote it longer but i won't say it all but seriously jazz you have such great questions and i'm curious how 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 you do prepare please teach us something well here's the thing so before i even started in this whole i guess this industry when i was living in london i i was in sales and you know, to to be in sales, to get a sale, it was always about asking open-ended questions. So, that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the basic principle of sales, like always ask open-ended questions, which then, you know, relating to what I do right now or what I've been doing is, you know, never ask a closed-ended question. And I think it's sub- that's subconscious. So mm-hmm. I never will ask or rarely will you hear me ask a closed-ended question that's going to be a yes or a no answer. Because when you hit that wall, it's like, oh, okay, you deserve that <laughs> short answer. But yeah. also, um, you know, like I'll watch a film twice or a TV show sometimes twice and just take notes, like really detailed notes um, of my left-handed serial killer handwriting that I have that only <laughs> I can read and no one else can. Um but it's, it's also, you know, credit to the artisans, credit to the people who I interview because people often don't want to talk to them, which I think I'm starting to see a shift. Like I'm seeing more and more sites speak to them. But, you know, so when it's like, hey, Jazz, do you want to interview the editor or the stunt coordinator? Yes, I do. And they're so grateful to talk to you and it's really just hearing their story. And I I think the credit goes to them more than me, like truly because 
they are they know that they're integral to a film it's just people aren't always haven't always been ready to celebrate them so i think when they get that chance to be recognized they do give that and then sometimes there are honestly there are times where i've been given a heads up of like you know so and so has never given an interview before and if i get that heads up i will be you know i won't go full you know techie or you know mm-hmm. all crazy i i go nice and easy and i'm i acknowledge it's like look i know this is your first one don't worry about it i'll take care of you but mm. what's your story um yeah well the poignancy is uh is something to behold as well as the intelligence and insight and i mean we appreciate the tips and like mike said kind of in the the pre-show we're gonna we're gonna try to implement them <laughs> after this interview because we pre-prepared so if we are long-winded we apologize but that's something we can work on in the future but all right let's let's dive into the design and and the the artisan categories now for this year's oscars uh before we do that we have to ask you about something that seems to happen each and every year and that's the long-standing hollywood tradition of releasing first look set photos i mean very recently we got our first looks at Kristen stewart who's going to play princess diana in an upcoming film anna de armas as marilyn monroe we also had a set photo of that and these are always these not so subtle attempts at viral marketing and sometimes they work i mean there's a history of them working certainly you can think back recently to like remy malik that first look of him on stage as freddie mercury Mm -hmm. kind of rode that wave and that momentum you working in in the design categories and, and below the line stuff so much how important is the set design to those looks how important are those looks to the oscars campaigning overall do you think i think it's super important um you know i'm transitioning now from as we wind down over the next nine ten days of what's left of this long oscar season (laughs) transitioning into emmys and there are still some shows that have yet to drop and i realize that people do want to see sketches from an upcoming show or an upcoming movie or like an exclusive behind the scenes first look. And it's not with every movie, it's, you know, the buzzy movies, right? So mm-hmm. it could be that first look at Blast, not F9 or whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> I imagine, you know, the first look at Jennifer Hudson in respect of the trailers, are, you know, we've already seen that trailer, but. Right. Um, so I think that's important to just, and also I guess studios and publicists want to gauge interest right so the first look at house of gucci i mean everybody went crazy for adam driver and lady gaga in that you know in when she posted that photo and there's a ton of interest in in that and i think yeah so any first looks i think are important to gauge like where like is there an interest in this or did we just conceive this and if that didn't work what next so i guess the natural follow-up to that is is can they extend it like this year we saw glenn close uh doing the whole social media thing where she's like dancing around in her prosthetics and do you think that you know impacted the fact that hillbilly elegy got had a lot of momentum obviously it had precursor nominations etc but do you th- do you think that they're going to continue to extend and find more creative ways to to market the film uh via social media in that way absolutely i think it's such an important integral part of it um of telling the narrative the behind mm-hmm. the scenes of like here's what i look like and here's what i look like with the prosthetics and Remember when I did Hillbilly Elegy? Like, you might have forgotten about it, but here's a video that I'm just going to drop today. Um, Because I'm sure they're not allowed to do it whilst they're filming, or some are, some are not. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a huge part. I wouldn't be surprised if she's on TikTok, and I don't have TikTok, so... Mike, Mike has TikTok. I still don't know what it is. Yeah, no, all the kids are talking to me about it. I, I, yeah, I'm with you, Jazz. Does Glenn have TikTok? <laughs> not that I've I've seen her on there, but not like a Glenn Close account. I mean, maybe she has one in hiding. I don't know, but not yet. I don't think. 
Do you think that'll be the linchpin, Mike? I guess I'm asking you here. Do you think that'll be the linchpin to our first Oscar win TikTok? I, I mean, we we, we both I, we want to see her win. I don't know if we want to see her win for hillbilly elegies with our stances been here. Right. Well, it's been fascinating to watch these recent years since Mike and I kind of started doing this. We have had these kind of actor transformations win the makeup and hairstyling category, and they've been from biopics. They've been Charlize Theron to Megyn Kelly and Bombshell. They've been uh, Christian Bale to Cheney and Vice and Gary Oldman to Churchill and Darkest Hour. And that's been the streak right now. And it sure looks as if Viola Davis becoming Ma Rainey, becoming the mother of blues, is going to take it this year. So this is a pre- there's precedent to it. I mean, Streep to Thatcher, Iron Lady, Marianne Cotillard, uh, Edith Piaf, Salma Hayek, Frida, Kate Blanchett. I-, I wrote down a bunch. But there's not... There's not a streak like this in recent memory. Usually, uh, it, it's it's not from a biopic necessarily that gets the makeup and hairstyling Oscar at the end of the day. So, I'm wondering what you think about these last few years in the sense that Oscar voters seem to glom on to the movie star becoming the historical figure. Has the makeup and hairstyling just become so good and so advanced that we get like these silver screen deep fakes going on? Or do you just think it's just this latest trend and it'll, it'll change back to how it always used to be? What do you think of this? I don't think it's a trend. I think the, from having you know from having done the interviews i think the i guess the the materials the the makeup artists and special effects artists are using to transform the the actors into you know an unrecognizable thing or they do it in a subtle way so like Glenn's transformation in Hillbilly Elegy is a very subtle transformation right it's sure. just mm-hmm. the nose and the ears Ma Rainey, you know, again, a subtle transformation. Charlize Theron last year was incredible. Like all those prosthetics, you're like, wait, that's Charlize. Um, mm. So I think the the craft itself, the material has become, or the tech has improved so much that the craft, people are paying attention to the transformations. Like mm. we're not watching Viola Davis on screen. We're watching Ma Rainey. Like there's not mm-hmm. a glimpse of viola in that movie mm. and pinocchio is amazing right mike just, mike was just watching pinocchio last night he had his first look at it. he was commenting on how uh, it being a worthy nominee in that category yeah. yeah i mean people paid no attention to it and then it's like wait this wasn't computer generated this was an actual makeup artist special effects artist sitting down with an eight-year-old kid mm-hmm. applying different silicone patches to him to make him look like a wooden puppet. I go by a pseudonym, but I'm also like the most Italian person ever. So you would, you wouldn't get it cause I'm from Connecticut. And, but, 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 but <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. So it's not my bias. And it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, and we're going to, we have a question that actually touches on that. I mean, the makeup has become and the set design, all the, the design categories have become so advanced that like, it's tough to tell what, even is graphically enhanced by computer or what's actually done. I mean, the, the talent in these design categories are really just, they've come such, I, I think anyway, just as someone who watches a billion movies a year, it, it just seems like it's come so far just in the last 20 years or so. I mean, I can remember 80s movies where it was a little painfully obvious where that wasn't the case. <laughs> 80s, 90s, early 2000s, right? <laughs> I'm with you. Thank God for virtual, like, virtual productions. Right. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, what, one of the thing, I mean, not only is your job so integral in that you get so much light shined on the artisan categories and the design categories that otherwise may go unnoticed. And I do think it's a huge credit to variety that they have you, but you've also been the flag bearer for shining the light on some equality issues as well. And I'm speaking specifically about the fact that me and Neil and Jamika Wilson alongside Viola Davis have become the first black women nominated for hair and makeup. And we have a phrase on MMO when it comes to racial and gender equality issues in the industry that we parrot ad nauseum here. And it's basically good job for making the progress. What the hell took you so long to get here, Hollywood? 
And I personally can't think of a more appropriate reaction for the fact that it took until the Academy's makeup and hair category's 41st year of existence in 2021 to have not only their first black female nominee likely winners, but nominees full stop, period. When you talk to makeup and hair designers in the industry, and especially minority makeup and hair designers, do you find their reaction to this historic nominating process this year to be more one of celebration that it happened, or is it more one of frustration that it did take so long to get here? I think it's been, honestly, it's just been a mix. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. it is a huge celebration, Mm -hmm. but it's also why why has it taken so long? And then you hear the stories of, you know, of the barriers that they face, such as, you know, well, can you do, they get asked questions like, you know, can you do white hair? And then you go and look at their resume and it's, you know, me and Neil, for example, worked on Uncut Gems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's this, there's this barrier that has been there for the longest time. And, it's shocking that this is a first that's an actual question they've been asked oh yeah yeah people oh makeup artists who i've spoken to have one of their biggest barriers was but can you do white hair it's like i'm a makeup artist Ugh. i'm a hairstyle hair department head My, i do hair mm-hmm. so good God. Yeah, we, I mean, we've written about it a few times. My colleague, Angelique Jackson, has done it, and so have I. But, yeah, it's a question that has existed for, you know, hair department heads, even makeup artists. So I guess as as a means of following up and call this ignorance on my part uh, about the talent that is available in the makeup and hair design industry, but do you feel there is enough representation there, or do you feel as is the case with many Hollywood categories and industries and arms and branches of the Academy that we're finding on pretty much a regular basis now, that there should be a shift more towards and more action needed to be gender inclusive and and gender uh, representation as well as racial inclusive and racial representation in the, in the design categories as well. I think, you know, they are out, you know, the makeup artists and hair department heads are out there. There, there's no reason to, to, for anybody to say, I can't find, you know, a person of color to, to head up my department head. I think, you know, there are databases out there, such as, you know, Ava DuVernay's Array Crew. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of, just look, really. I think that's the biggest, uh, you know, response that I've heard is that yeah. people need to look. If you're hiring, look. Hopefully it's uh, it's changing. Please, for the love of God. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, goodness, I, I do I do want to talk about the Ma Rainey's uh, historical moment or what could happen, what we think might happen. And you certainly have talked about the the fact that Ann Roth is looking like the costume design front runner, and you know th- this could be a, a pair of historic wins for for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, like like we've been saying. So. This doesn't happen every year. We we don't see a film win both costume design and makeup and hairstyling. It's only happened six times. I've counted through uh, uh, Oscar history. The last time it happened was Mad Max Fury Road in 2015. And Ma Rainey's has been racking up the wins. It, it won choice BAFTA and Guild. Uh, Guild uh, wins in, in both of these. So do you see this happening? How heavy of a favorite is Ma Rainey's in both of those categories, do you think, right now? I think it's a it's a front runner. I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to predict, follow the guild. And, you know, Anne Roth, I cannot believe she's only won one Oscar, um, mm. which is kind of crazy given her body, her incredible body of work. Um, I think she's an absolute front runner. Uh, and I think the same with, Marini in hair and makeup because they've won, you know, they've been winning up and down the board. So I don't think we'll get upsets, hopefully, come Oscar night. Well, so I guess my next uh, logical follow up, I actually got two because I have a stupid question here. 
and yeah, there are such things as stupid questions. This is me being <laughs> stupid, but I was Emma ineligible at the Muaz because I mean we see this a lot. The British films just they're they're not in, you know the the craftsmen are not in the guilds. Was Emma ineligible? Do you know? That I don't know. Oh, so it's a smart question. Wow, I stumped Very you. Very smart question, but I you stumped me. Well, I, I'm guessing it was ineligible, and it's coming from an outside lane. Then again, Emma did not get BAFTA in makeup and hair for some reason. I guess. So, I mean, the the logical follow up is then who could be the the, the challenger to Ma Rainey's here? We have Pinocchio, Hillbilly Elegy. They're coming from previous Oscar winners uh, in, in the in the makeup and hair uh, side of things. They're also the makeup side of things, even though. They're, they're both, uh, I, I guess you could say. It, it, Emma and Mank, now, you know, the, the escapism of those movies is just me just in awe of all the braids and the weaves and the 1920s, 30s. Oh, my God. I, I just, I, I nerd out about Mank and, and Emma. I've watched that. And my mom and I, we talk about it too much. It is it is a favorite. I mean, it's a repeat viewing experience. And now Pinocchio, I'm Italian. I'm probably going to watch, watch that a lot, too. Now, <laughs> Do you agree that Vegas thinks Pinocchio is that main challenger? Because right now, that's that's where it's at. Uh, nobody else has won anything, uh, I don't think, uh, in this particular category. Mulan won a fantasy in the costumes that we'll talk about in a second. So does it even matter? Is just Ma Rainey's running away in your, in your mind here? I think the narrative is that Ma Rainey is going to run away. I cannot see an upset in any window. I think, you know, this branch wants to tell a story, I guess, of like, yes, it's 2021, but also just to credit the work, like people who I've spoken to within that field or that branch genuinely do love the work that Sergio Rivera Lopez and you know me and Neil and Jimmy Corson have done. I, I in just I know Vegas has its odds. I you know it's interesting to see that. I would be very, very surprised if Pinocchio did sneak up. I just don't see Hillbilly Elegy coming in with a win. Mm-hmm. Um and you know as much as I love Emma and I do love Mank. I can't. There's nothing out there that makes me think it's going to. This this category is an easy one to predict. Watch me be wrong. Watch me be wrong on Sunday night. Well, anybody could be After wrong. All in of this, that. Yeah, in this crazy year. So it's I guess I got this. Shoot. Yeah, I got the same question for costumes. I mean, we have Emma and Mank, uh, Pinocchio. Mulan as the other four nominees there. Uh, do, do any of them stand a chance against Anne Roth? And could I mean whatever the fountain of youth is for Anne Roth? I mean, could uh, did, did you did you gleam at, at that from her to, throughout the season? <laughs> could that, I mean that's a secret. That's a secret like from the Goldie Hawn, Angelica Houston, Death Becomes Her back room or something. Well, my goodness, what a, what an amazing career! I can't believe she's doing what she's doing at her age. But yes, Anne Roth, front runner, uncatchable. Or do you see like an Emma coming from that outside lane? At least Emma got a BAFTA nom here. Right. Oh my gosh, I, I. I have Anne to win. I love, can I just say, I do love Trish Somerville and the work that she did for Mank is amazing. The fact that she found all those colors to work seamlessly on screen for Fincher is incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Mulan won at the, the, the guild the other day. Um, I would like to say, Anne, is a lock, but I remember last year, Little Woman came in out of nowhere. I th- no, I don't know if it was out of nowhere, but I think, you know, people love the costumes in Jojo Rabbit. They love the costumes in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought Ariane Phillips might win. She didn't. So... Mm-hmm. I'm still bitter over how Ruthie Carter for Dolomite last year was kind of overlooked. From, uh-huh. I don't know how she found those patterns in the wild. Oh, can we have another? Can can I come back for another? Like, why did you snub Ruth Carter for that? Like, Ruthie <laughs> Carter. Like, that's, yes. Yeah. Anytime. Um, yeah. So, uh, yes, Anne Roth. 
Um, but I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't be upset if Mulan or Emma did come in and upset that. So maybe speaking larger about the card then, I mean, if Ma Rainey's worst day on Oscar Sunday is three wins, have you heard anything or do you have any insight as to how if three branches, three separate branches of the Academy support that film so much and think it's the best in their class, how it could have avoided being a Best Picture nominee, especially when it had the precursor run that it did when everyone, at least most people, I think, thought or assumed it would at least get in the nominating of the field. That I don't, that baffles me to this day of, okay, so we knew Chadwick was was probably, you know, People favored him really early on. Viola too. I honestly thought it would get a director. I thought it would get picture. I, you know, I know. So did we, yeah. I know adapted screenplay was tight, but I'm just baffled by by that and how that happened when you love the crafts, like where did you suddenly switch? Like you didn't go down the line then, did you? <laughs> right? Because mm. the one thing with voters is they tend to go, well, best picture, I'm already best director, one, two, three. And they didn't do that, which it's interesting. I mean, we've been, that's the disadvantage of the pandemic is if we were going to events you'd mm-hmm. be able to get a better gauge from voters, not film Twitter, not <laughs> bloggers, not critics, of why it didn't get a best picture. And I have no kind of insight into I'm, that. I'm happy it baffles you as much as it does us because we don't understand it on, <laughs> on ourselves after studying this for this long. But all right, so let, let's talk about production design and go back, circle back to the comments you made about how how far makeup and and all all these different technologies have come and how far, how well the VFX and computer animated stuff has blended into the background. And let's focus on Mank for a second because mm-hmm. I, I've had this problem all year long, all award season long, about Mank and its eventual nomination in the VFX category because on its face it would seem that Manx production design is off the charts. And I agree that it is. And it's likely because so many people think that it is that it's become the front runner in the production design category. But the VFX nomination bewildered me so much that I had to go do independent research. And when I actually watched the amount of VFX that's in Manx background to set the scenes that I thought was just production design, I, I like I, I think I had a mini stroke that I've still not recovered from because I couldn't wrap my head around how far technology has come in that way. Is there an argument that Mank is being celebrated in the wrong category at all? That it's getting credit in production design when some of the credit should go towards VFX because of how seamlessly the back the computer and graphically enhanced backgrounds go into what looks like practical effects in the setting? Yeah. Um I, I... That, no. I mean, the only reason I say no is because if you look at the visual effects categories, like Tenet, Midnight mm-hmm. Sky, Mulan, One and Only Ivan, and Love and Monsters, I mean, remember that when that came out of nowhere? Mm-hmm. Um, I think those really highlight the craft of visual effects. I think Mank in there, it's very subtle, which, I mean, I guess highlights the how great Mank is. Um, but I think that's one of that's probably not the category for it to be celebrated. And I think production design kind of encompasses that, if that answers the question. So aren't you glad we covered the SDSA this year, Mike? <laughs> is her answer. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's cool. And I guess so. I mean, Mank has been on a similar sweep this season in production design. And yeah, I mean, I guess they kind of left no doubt and they consolidated uh, that argument and they kind of vetted it out as you're saying in the pre-product in the you know the, the award season which is once in a while when that happens it kind of makes us feel better doesn't it mike mm, yeah <laughs> once it makes it clearer at least <laughs> i mean we still ask the questions but otherwise i guess i got the same follow-up here do you think we have tenant in the buildings that blow up or don't blow up or reverse or whatever happened in tenant big big production design for the first uh first man guys did that one we have 
classic big Hollywood sets like those in the the Old West Texas News of the World or the Act One of Ma Rainey's there. We, we, we had some spectacles in Act One, big performance set pieces from the tent to the. Uh, I mean, it was a great montage there, and then out on the street, my goodness, mm-hmm. with the with the the sets there, and you know, you you got those big budget effects, but you also or big budget sets, but you also have like the set decorations of the father, which could be mm-hmm. coming from an outside lane because it's so integral to the psychological thriller aspect of it all. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering if you see Mank running away or if you do see a formidable challenger here that could kind of kind of take this uh, at the last minute and upset Mank. I think production design Mank is going to run away. Mm. So you think you think all of these categories are spoken for and locked up pretty much. <laughs> Edit, uh, editing, I have no editing. I'm between two, right? Mm. Um, it's either between Santa Metal trial of chicago seven obviously sound and the sound category and film editing go hand in hand but i wonder if and this is where we'll wait for ace to pick if ace picks trial of chicago seven does that mean trial of chicago seven is then going to win best picture like what Mm. like what's that scenario there so mm. it's not not every category is locked in. Best original song is 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 wild. Yeah, wide open. And part of best original song, I mean, it's it's become so intertwined with the Oscars program. And I know uh, you and your your coworker there just broke the story yesterday. Mike and I actually were just talking about how they're going to handle the performances of the original songs. But you and John Burlingham for Variety yesterday broke the story that some of the performances are actually already taped. They were taped mm-hmm. on the roof of the Academy Museum and they're not going to be shown within the Oscars program itself. It's going to be shown in a Oscars run-up program before the show. Is, I mean, doesn't that kind of take away from the artistry of the event a little bit? I, I'm i so upset to write that. Um, yeah. I, I was like, wait. You know, I've always loved watching the Oscar ceremony and w- w- listening to the five original songs throughout. So it's always been, it's going to be, I don't know how the performers feel. So we've had no official confirmation. That, that all came from a source who said that. And um, so it's being recorded this coming Monday and Tuesday, the five performances. And I think mm. I agree. I think it's going to take away from what we love about the show. It's like it breaks up the awards and it's like, and here's one performance and right. then here's another one and here's another one. I, and it does take away from the craft. I, I agree 100%. It's sad because the BAPTAs went the other way where they had the live element with Kareen Bailey Ray there and Leslie Odom from, you know, from L.A. And I thought that was magical. That was a great. It was like a hologram of Leslie uh, Leslie Odom. I I just thought that worked so well. So, the liveness matters. Is it a push to try and get the Oscars under three hours this year, or within three hours? Hard. I mean, have you heard anything about that? That I don't know. I don't know. I, it might be that they just want to play it safe because they're going to do it at a different venue, and some there's going to be an aspect of Zoom or you know remote broadcasting from the uk and around europe so i don't know if it's a safety measure but i i feel i feel bad for the original song contenders to have that pushed out of the main show and i think there's every year there's always an issue of like we're not going to have the original song contenders perform and then yeah a few minutes right and then like you know a couple of days before oh actually they're going to be performing last year they said up until um, i think three weeks before showtime they weren't going to have any and was it was it. okay we'll have yeah. these two and yeah yeah that's that's it so uh, oh i don't know that's strange so sad that's so sad yeah well we can't thank you enough jazz seriously for for coming on and agreeing to to spend your day with us and it's it's been awesome. I mean, you've been everything we could have hoped you were with the answering of these questions and handling some of the tougher ones that we're just throwing you on, on a whim, but that's why you're one of the best in the business at what you do. 
Uh, you mentioned you have Emmys on the season on the horizon after the Oscars finally come to a close yeah. after what feels like a 74 month build up to us and everyone else who covers this thing. But Netflix is heavily involved in a lot of the, the design and aesthetic categories at the Emmys, much like they are and seem to be could sweep the design categories of the artisan categories at the Oscars. What do you make about Netflix becoming not only this best picture contender, which we all know they're still in search of that and they're threatening with it every year that goes by now, but becoming this kind of monster of below the line and artisan uh, categories as well. I think it's great for them. Um, I think I'm really happy for them. I mean, I'm happy to see them become such a player above and below the line. I mean, think. let's go back to Roma. You know, the cinematography of Roma was stunning the sound mm. design the sound editing and yes they are two different fields academy um, <laughs> so you know it just they're putting out such great quality and high quality films and you know that's going to go down the board so to see them win to potentially win costume design to potentially win makeup and hairstyling to potentially win you know production design i think it's great for them well we think you're great as well with what you do and again we can't thank you enough for joining us and helping us parse through i mean look like we said it's a joke but it's serious we're two guys who spend too much time in our pajamas trying to talk about fashion sometimes so we need the expert to come in and set us straight and you've certainly done that today we can't thank you enough for joining us jazz (laughs) I appreciate you, and thank you so much for having me on here, truly. And anytime. We will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Every year, Michael, mm. every year we have people on who are just experts, and they blow us away. And Jazz is now another name on that list. Cannot thank her enough. She's so kind, so intelligent, so insightful. Can't thank her enough for uh, sharing her insight and her professionalism, what she does her day-to-day with us for a little bit today. Yeah, us becoming social was a good move. It was just <laughs> us finally, you know, stop being so inter- introverted, such being such, you know, curmudgeon film critics and just talking to each other and driving each other crazy. Uh, no, th- th- this is it's really been a fun season uh, in, in regards to our guests and, and jazz is just uh, w- wonderful to talk to pre-show, post-show, just just a sweetheart and and, and, and just a superstar with what yeah. she does. I mean, nobody is more prolific. I mean, Mike, you made a crack about six new articles in the last 24 hours. That's true. That's yeah. true. At Variety yeah. right now, she's got six new pieces. And it's just amazing. It, it was like that at Awards Daily. She was a machine over there on top of the full-time job. And now that she's, you know, made this a living and and, and, and earned her way to where she's at now, she's doing more work than ever. And she was able to churn out the content. And, and it's not just quantity mike i I almost made the quality quantity joke because we do quantity at times we don't do a quality quantity of quality necessarily like she does it it's 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 all over the internet in terms of of her work and her work this season like we i gave you a list at the top of the show of of people she's interviewed of q a she's done that list is so much longer but Big names nominated, Andrew Day, Stephen Yun, Leslie Odom Jr., uh, big names that, that got snubbed, like Michelle Pfeiffer. That was certainly a, an awesome interview that was on the Award Circuit podcast feed and was all, is also on YouTube. I believe, well, I th- Where did I li- I listened to it on the podcast feed, so I won't lie and say it was on YouTube. I thought I saw it on YouTube. I, didn't, I don't remember. But the Ruben Santiago Hudson interview I know was on YouTube. That was one of my favorites that she did as well, Michael and – yeah, she's she's on social media uh, at Jazz T on Twitter. Everybody follow her. She does. Yeah. She has follow. She has a lot of. She should have a ridiculous amount more <laughs> followers. So all our followers, yeah. what are you doing? Follow her yeah. immediately, please, please do. And those are there's no wiser words than those for this episode at Jazz T J A Z Z the letter T over there on Twitter and go search her work Tang K T A N G C A Y over on Variety.com to go seek out her stuff. If, and if you're not familiar with her uh, yet, you're in for a treat when you do go look at Variety. As for ourselves here, uh, of course we want to hear from you, dear listener. What are your thoughts? 
thoughts on all these below-the-line categories, the artisans and aesthetic categories. You can leave us your thoughts on those, what you think will win on Oscar Sunday, and do you think some of those categories are locked up, like we talked about today? They may be. Uh, You can leave us those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias as well. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast feed, if you would be so kind as to tap on our logo and leave us a five-star review, that would truly make our entire day. Michael, tell the good people what is coming next, and do you have any more wise words that they should follow to close out here on? Well, it is wise to study these categories via the Variety Artisans Awards from the Santa Barbara Film Festival mm-hmm. there. Let's make sure we all study those before we make our predictions, Michael. And we are about to do that, we think, we hope, next, unless we get cold feet, which is very possible, but who knows. But look, I mean, we got, <laughs> we got three big shows this coming week and we got three more preview shows and we, and we do this every year and it's it's so much fun so the big prediction show we think is next next we got a big guest coming back for the final preview hint hint we hope we think and i we see have, what you did there we have our uh oscar morning show that we're actually going to do on an oscar friday so it'll be kind of like an oscar weekend podcast for you guys uh reacting to the indie spirits and any late breaking anything that happens uh, as an Oscar final Oscar race checkpoint before the big day. Of course, we will have our reaction show ASAP after that. Then we'll probably take a few days to just hibernate. Just weeks, weeks. months. No, but we will have an Oscars fallout show and whatever craziness we do on the Oscar immediate raw reaction show, we will apologize for on the next episode. And then guess what? We're a quarter of the way into next year's Oscars year, so it never ends. So, uh, guys, when reality sucks, you'll always have Oscars news and coverage uh, to come through with us and our friends here. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.